of health enthusiasts. You're tuned into Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, your one-stop shop for all things health, wellness, and innovation. We're here to shake up the status quo in healthcare, making it sustainable, equitable, and also patient-centric. I'm Greg Masters, your co-host and executive producer, and I'm thrilled to be joined by the digital health aficionado himself, author and global thought leader, Gil Bash. Together, we're on a mission to bring you the people, the ideas, and the companies that are not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. On today's menu, we've got an exciting chat lined up with Ilana Yurkovitz, MD, Clinical Assistant Professor, Department of Medicine, Stanford University, and author of Fragmented, A Doctor's Quest to Piece Together American Healthcare. Dr. Yurkowitz is an award-winning physician writer who exposes how pervasive cracks in the healthcare system cost us time, energy, and lives, and how we can fix them. There's an unspoken assumption when we go to see a doctor. The doctor knows our medical story and is making decisions based on that story. But reality frequently falls short. Medical records vanish when we switch doctors. Critical details of life-saving treatment plans get lost in muddled electronic charts. The doctors we see change according to specialty, hospital shifts, or an insurer's whims. Physician Ilana Yurkowicz calls this phenomenon fragmentation, and she argues it's the central failure of healthcare today. And now, without further ado, let's pass the mic to Gil. Greg, thank you for the gracious introduction, and we're thinking of you, my friend. Uh, many of you know that Greg Masters, the executive producer of Health Unabashed, um, parted with his son after a tragic accident just a few weeks ago, Tony, who was riding a bicycle in Brooklyn, collided with a pedestrian, was sent immediately to a trauma center. And there, because there was confusion of really who owns the patient, who's responsible for the patient's treatment, uh, Tony actually went from um, from from bad to worse and 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 passed. And so, Greg, we're thinking of you, and we're also thinking of the topic that we're going to explore today with Dr. Alana Yurkovitz, who is um, a very special physician. She's an internist, she's a hematologist, and she's also an oncologist. She's a triple board certified, and it's very important that she's an internist because internists really focus on the whole patient. Obviously, a hematologist, an oncologist, is, is looking actually at the risk and treatment of cancers. Um, she's really looking at the, certainly that specialty, but she's backing out and saying, I own this person. I own this patient. What am I doing to help them? How am I communicating with them? This is also a very special day for Dr. Yurkovitz, Alana, because I received notification today from Amazon that a book that I pre-ordered some time ago is arriving, your new book, Fragmented. And I am thrilled. I read the manuscript. If if this isn't a bestseller, then there's no justice in the world. That's what I have to say to our listeners today. Um, it's a it's a very personal book. It's a very professional book. It takes a look at your, your life as a, a Stanford medical physician. I just want to uh, share with our listeners that um, you, you went to Yale uh, for undergraduate. You went to Harvard Medical School. You made your way from the East Coast to the West Coast, one of the finest medical systems um, in the United States, Stanford Medical. You're, you're working with clinicians all around the United States. 
And um, clearly, clearly you're incredibly observant, not just about your patients, but about the system that those patients enter and that you're part of. And um, in your book, Fragmented, you really explore how the, the fragmented health ecosystem really makes it tough for physicians to do their best work or health professionals to do the work that they aspire to deliver to. And for, for people, consumers, patients, we're always, we're always people, we're sometimes patients, but for people who are engaging the health system who really don't have your savvy experience, they're up against the odds. I'd love to hear what was the inspiration for Fragment? You've been an author, by the way. You've written for The Atlantic. You've written for um, countless national publications as a physician author. Um, what inspired you to sort of sit down and really devote yourself to a full-fledged book? Yeah, thank you for asking. And first of all, Gil, thank you for having me. It's so great to be here with you for this really important conversation. Today is a big day for me. It's July 11th and the book Fragmented is out in stores now. So very, very exciting um, that it's that it's currently out and it's available for purchase wherever books are sold. I based this book on a deep expansion of an article that I wrote a couple years ago. So when I was a first year resident physician, I cared for an elderly veteran patient who was shuttled back and forth between my hospital and nursing facilities three times, once in critical condition, all due to unshared medical records that let details of his care fall through the cracks. And as his physician, I did everything in my power to prevent this. I wrote up a clear discharge summary. I bolded my notes. I double-checked my medications lists. I even called over the nursing facilities for verbal handoffs. And details still slipped through the cracks. And so I wrote this article a couple years ago based on my experience taking care of this patient to understand why the medical record-keeping system in the United States is so fragmented. And what I mean by that is that records go unshared, even if you are a patient who, say, transfers one hospital up the street, your physicians might not have access to your records. And so I wrote this book as a deep expansion of that because I realized as a physician practicing for almost 10 years now, that record keeping is actually just the tip of the iceberg. And there are many factors at play that all lead to the same conclusion for me, which is that I am constantly, as a physician, I am constantly working in a state of being partially blindfolded to the full details of my patients' narratives. And record keeping is a part of that, but I wanted to explore and unpack the other factors that contribute to this. You know, that's so true. I, you know, we were talking previously and I said that, um, when my father-in-law physician was in the hospital the last days of his life, um, I spoke to a nurse about his medical record, his electronic medical record. And she said to me, I don't have time to read the medical records. And I know from your book, um, you really map out the fact that even if you have access to a electronic medical record, 
And I, we have to keep in mind that from hospital to hospital or doctor's office to doctor's office, they don't know where your other records lie. They just know the records they have access to. But when she said, I don't have time to read the records, you know, that's that really forces the consumer, I guess, to be their own health historian. Um, and, and you probably, as a physician, triple board certified, you're trying to make sense of a patient's medical history. But when you have the records in hand, um, I understand from you that um, it, it's not like a book. It's not like your book, you know, a, sort of a, the, the quest. It, it, it's it's kind of like um, just gibberish. I've read that something like 50% or more of medical records are just repeats of other medical records. And you're going through page by page by page, by like screen by screen by screen to try to find something about the patient. You know, you've got to be a detective, I think, to go through all this stuff. What's your experience in trying to figure out the medical history of a patient? My experience is that critical data is frequently buried, even if we technically have access to everything. And so what I mentioned before is vanishing medical records between one healthcare facility to another. That's one problem. But a separate problem that I write about is, as you mentioned, even if all the data is there, I had one patient uh, that I write about in the book that was hospitalized in my hospital nearly 100 times, my hospital. And when he came under my care, I still dug and dug through his chart, trying to find the treat a reasonable treatment plan to treat the 101st episode of the same problem. I thought it would be pretty straightforward. And I noticed that there were big discrepancies in every time he came to, into the hospital and how he was treated. And a big part of that is how the electronic medical system is organized. So even if all the data is there, medical records, no, they are not written like a book. There are dozens of tabs that we have to click through. Some data is not where you expect it to be. Some is still faxed in in a tab called media. And when you pull it up, it might be upside down. Um, and what, and as you mentioned, it's actually 60% of doctor's notes, according to a recent study are duplicated and therefore redundant from one note to the next. So in order to find a meaningful narrative out of all this data, which is what I try to do as a physician thinking about next steps, you are clicking and clicking and clicking through dozens of tabs and trying to piece that story together yourself. Um, there's much data that supports my lived experiences. Um, there was one study that showed that it takes something between 14 and 62 clicks to order something as simple as Tylenol, which the with the discrepancies causing errors in up to 30% of cases. So as you can imagine, this process is not just error prone, but extremely labor intensive. And given the number of patients that we have, that I often have, we don't have time to click through everything and put together meaningful narratives if that burden falls on you to reinvent the wheel every single time. You know, thinking about that, and um, I'm I'm sort of just amazed that you know, physicians just don't throw up their arms and start to sort of walk out of the system, like sort of a day of rage, because it must be so incredibly frustrating to know that you have this desire to to help and you're so limited in terms of the um access to information i often hear 
you know, sort of doctors say they spend more time trying to key in data into Epic um, than um, than they have time to see patients. Now, I don't know if that's an exaggeration or not, but but I would imagine that in the desire to make sure the patient's medical history is complete, they're trying to enter this information. Um, and we're in this period where we're talking about open AI and chat GPT. I, I often wonder why we're not using some of the newer technologies to even say, if we could, to the medical record, if we could, um, chat GPT, give me a 500 word summary of patient Jane Smith's medical history. Um, how do all these technologies and data work? I sense that the the EMR is is sort of like one dimensional dormant, and and now we're inventing technologies that have to mine through, which could be inaccurate data. In other words, we want to deploy these technologies to accelerate decision making, but yet they're only as good as the the information that's in the chart. So, do we run the risk of getting an over enthusiastic? about new new technologies, smart technologies, applying them and actually creating a more error-prone medical system? Well, I will say we got to where we are because of unintended consequences of an initial technologic design. That sounded great on paper, just like many people feel OpenAI and ChatGPT sound great on paper. And so I will take a step back and give you a little bit of context for what I'm describing. So we talked about why electronic medical records are so disorganized. And this all came from an initiative back in 2009, where the government tried to stimulate the entire country to go paperless and convert paper paper charts into electronic charts. Sounds great, right? I mean, I completely agree with it in yeah, theory. Absolutely. Everyone agreed with it in theory. So the federal agency behind the operation set standards um, called meaningful use in order to track which hospitals were adopting the technology. And what they did was set this slew of metrics that hospitals had to meet in order to receive reimbursement. The problem was this: these slews of metrics were attempted to create standardization between hospitals. Also, sounds great, right? But in reality, what ended up happening is all of these irrelevant factors had to be recorded and tracked by doctors and other healthcare workers, whether someone was presenting, let's say, for a simple cold or end-of-life care, like their smoking status and their family history. And with these slew of metrics, had to when they had to be met, it was like the electronic ecosystem just became cluttered with all of this irrelevant data. And then in order to get by, doctors started copy pasting their notes from one encounter to another because they didn't have time to sort through everything. And over time, doctors now kind of pejoratively dub meaningful use as meaningless abuse hmm. that we have just kept adding to this garbage pile. And so I think there is a lot of potential in using current tools like OpenAI and ChatGPT to start organizing some of this data that has become you know, radically disorganized over the last 10 plus years. But a really key point is who are the decision makers at the table um, that decide how this technology is used? Because going back to that original sin, I think part of it, a big part of it was that 
these slew, these slew of metrics was fundamentally designed for billing, not patient care. And so it has to be doctors, it has to be healthcare workers, it has to be patients and advocates at the table to think about this initial design now of how we're going to be using new tools to clean up the messes of the old tools so that we don't spiral into the same situation that we're in now. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I often think of um, of people designing and inventing without the customer in mind. And I'm, I'm not sure, I, I don't want to point to any one organization. You know, there obviously there are major organizations involved with EMRs. Obviously, Epic is one of those major organizations. But I, I'm certain that if, if Microsoft Office worked like Epic, no one would be using Microsoft Office a, as a consumer. You know, it's, it, is it designed for your needs to really have you know to illuminate what that that person that patient needs or is it designed just to capture information to your point to make sure the billing codes are correct so that the hospital capture captures revenue I'm, I'm just curious by the way because you're you're sort of you're very sensitive to the nuances of fragmentation within the health ecosystem um, um do you know hospitals that are still using faxes as a way of doctors trans no, so transmitting information from a system, I still use faxes. Okay, there so, you go. That's an honest answer. You know the the um, the Cures Act, of course, said that we were going to eliminate faxes. What was it in twenty twenty two or something like that? Yeah, the faxes. final rule was in twenty twenty one that electronic information was going to be immediately accessible to patients. And look, I just I just want to say, I do think this was all a step in the right direction. Paper charts were not the solution here. Imagine how much stuff goes missing when you are handwriting patient data on loose leaf paper. Of course, this is a step in the right direction, but it's all about how this is organized and shared. Just dropping in, you're right on time for Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Today, we're chatting with Ilana Yurkovich, MD, Clinical Assistant Professor, Department of Medicine, Stanford University, and author of Fragmented, A Doctor's Quest to Piece Together American Healthcare. You know, I, I, I've got to believe that um, that uh, at the end of the day, you know, patient lives are are on the line. And, and sometimes, you know, the information doesn't reach the right hands in time. And, and that's tragic. You have a you have a story and you have a few amazing um, personal care stories in your book. Obviously, you protect people's identities very, very closely. But but you know, you, you talk about one particular story that I, I thought was very touching of a, of a, a patient you're, you're 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 treating others are treating she has um a i believe it's a lung infection she's also dealing with cancer and and you're pulling together as the triple board certified physician you're both playing the role of of um advocate or ambassador for the patient you're internist you're an oncologist you're a hematologist you're pulling together different teams and you talk about in the book how each team is asked to give a solution of how to deal with this patient's um, situation. And they all come up with logical teams. To, would you share with that a little bit about that story? Because it's such a, a great story of you know, who owns the patient? You own the patient in this case. You took ownership. And maybe the patient's life was, was sustained, extended because you wanted to synthesize. You, you wanted to really be the, the pattern recognition physician of all these teams. Yeah, I'm happy to share that story. And 
I will give my conclusion first, actually, which is that the empowering fact of the matter is anybody can take ownership. It can be a generalist physician. It can be a specialist physician. It can even be patients and loved ones who advocate for their teams to communicate with one another. So they get off the conveyor belt of subspecialized patient care where conclusions are often drawn without thinking carefully about decisions that come next. And so I'll share the story and I include it in the book because I, I organized the book into the many ways that fragmentation happens in the U.S. healthcare system. And data is one piece of it, but it's not the whole piece. Another piece is mindsets and cultures and culture from within the medical community and how we think about patients. And I talk about how subspecialization is favored within the medical community, but that leads us to divide patients up into body parts and organ systems. And it's not as though specialization itself is the problem. The problem arises when those different narratives have to come together and think about the whole patient. And the whole can fall apart even while every specialist perfectly manages their slice. And so this was a perfect example of that, um, where fortunately the patient did okay in the end. So it was a woman I was caring for with leukemia who had received chemotherapy and was very immunosuppressed as a result of it. And the biggest issue ended up being her lungs, where she had these white patches on CT scan. She was gasping for air. As her primary doctor in the hospital, I was cranking up her oxygen support to the point that I had to have a frank conversation with her about what would happen next, meaning, would you want me to put you on a ventilator and go to the intensive care unit if your oxygen needs were to continue to worsen? So three teams of doctors were on the case, and from each specialist point of view, each team was thinking perfectly, logically. So from the infectious diseases team's point of view, we were already treating for the multitude of infections that could be causing this constellation of findings. She had already been on broad spectrum antibiotics and antifungal medications. From the pulmonologist's or lung doctor's point of view, she had already undergone a bronchoscopy, a test that tried to reveal the diagnosis and didn't. So doing another one would be unnecessary and risky. And then finally, from the hematologist's point of view, she was very immunosuppressed from chemotherapy, and there was no way to speed that up because any medicine we can give to speed that up could also stimulate the underlying leukemia. So again, from every specialist's point of view, perfectly reasonable conclusions. But taken together, that led to a narrative of staying the course, which at the time to me felt like the narrative that was not quite right yet. So I ended up treating her empirically for things that were considered highly unlikely from every specialist point of view. It ended up being steroids and treating for, for to treat for pneumonitis um, caused by chemotherapy, as well as adding on an additional antifungal medication for very rare molds that can make somebody very sick. And slowly but surely, her oxygen improved, her oxygenation support, we were able to wean that down and she was able to get better. And so I share that story um, not to promote myself. I've sometimes been in the situation where I've been a specialist that was thinking just from my point of view and, and might have missed the larger picture. But the point that I wanted to share is that 
anyone could have been the me in that story, uh, which is the person who was just thinking about trying to reconcile these different narratives and even asking yourself, do they add up to a reasonable conclusion? And if they don't, pushing the teams to communicate so that we can change course. You know, that it's such a poignant story because there has to be an integrator. No, it's not just the the data itself. You talked about the culture of medicine. Um, and you you really see that each physician wants to sometimes feel that they're the they have the best idea. They're humans. Physicians are people too. Um, but and nobody wants to feel that their suggestion is discounted. But at some point, someone has to have the courage to say, you know, look, all great suggestions. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to go this way. And you have the courage to do that for that, for the sake of that patient. You know, I, I'd love to, and we have a few moments left. I'd love to ask you, what was your experience when this box arrives, fragmented, a doctor's quest to piece together American health care? Um, beyond the book itself, in the last moments, tell me, what do you hope to achieve in the publication of the book? Besides, hopefully it will be a bestseller, and that would be very gratifying. I have a feeling that you really have a bigger mission. It was really, really gratifying to get this book in the mail because it is this box of books in the mail, because this book is my manifesto. And what I hope to achieve from it, uh, two things. I want to have people think more critically about how our healthcare system is organized on a systemic level. And so what are the factors besides beyond individuals that have resulted in this deeply, deeply fragmented state where doctors are always working blindfolded and patients and loved ones are burdened with stitching together the pieces of their medical story? So that's number one. And number two, in addition to thinking about systemic changes to the healthcare system, I would like to empower people who interact with the healthcare system now to do it better. And that is a mindset and it is something that can be taught. And I'm hoping that patients and family members and professionals read this book and come away thinking a little bit differently about how you can act as an individual in a broken system to make things better. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled you said that. Um, by the way, we're speaking to Dr. Alana Yurkovitz, who's just come out with a book. I, I think if it's not a bestseller, there's no justice in the world. She's just written a book. I, I had the pleasure of reading the manuscript. It's available on Amazon and where all books are sold, most certainly. But one of the things I found that's so important about your book, um, you and your colleagues live the frustration. You live the experience. You do the best you can do. And you know what you're up against. For um, people who are entering the system, whether it's the you know their doctor's office in their community or or a hospital system, th- they're not aware necessarily of the finer points of fragmentation of how systems don't collide; they just don't mesh. Your your book, I think, is a must read for anyone, certainly in this nation or around the world, who is going to be dealing with a chronic medical condition or a serious medical condition. I almost say. If, if you're going to be caring for someone as an advocate, if you're going to be your, your own advocate, read this book. I think it's a great, great book. I think it will accelerate your knowledge about the health system. I, I want to thank you for writing the book. The moment I saw it, I leaped at it and uh, and reached out. Um, I also want to say, please follow Dr. Alana Jurkovic on LinkedIn and Twitter. She's very active on both platforms. She will engage 
And um, and we look forward to seeing more articles by you and other magazines and your next book as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Gil. I appreciate the kind words and the opportunity to talk about Fragmented. And that, dear listeners, is the last note for today's Melody. A huge thank you for tuning in and a special tip of the hat to our guest, Ilana Yurkovich, MD, Clinical Assistant Professor, Department of Medicine, Stanford University, and author of Fragmented, A Doctor's Quest to Piece Together American Healthcare. To keep tabs on her work or to check out Fragmented, go to fragmentedmedicine.com and follow her on Twitter via Ilana Yurkovitz. And that's I-L-A-N-A-Y-U-R-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. For more of our Health Unabashed episodes, swing by our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We're live weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Stay social with Gil and me on Twitter via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E and Greg Masters, MPH, and that's Greg with two Gs. Don't forget to give your tweets some zing with our hashtag, Health and the Bash. Until we meet again, pursue your passion for better health. No apologies. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.